This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing, and I'm your host, J. Scott. I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a great show lined up for you with good friend Joe Slayton of Motherload Turkey Calls based out of California. This next clip that you're about to hear is an actual hunt that Joe Slayton and I had in 2013 in eastern Arizona. I had split up with Joe that night and tried to roost turkeys. I found a turkey roosted and we went and hunted the bird the next morning and you'll hear what happened. Yeah. Jay roosted this turkey last night in here. He knew he'd heard another bird down further too, but uh, he said, I think we got a good setup on this turkey. So I looked at my watch and it was 510, and you said they had been flying out 510, 515. So I thought, I'm going to wait for him to gobble one more time. And then I did, and I called, and he didn't say nothing. I'm like, now what? You know? And then uh, I waited a couple more minutes. And he gobbled a couple more times. I called one more time, and he didn't gobble. But then it sounded like he turned right at me and was gobbling right at me. Yeah. And then I heard him fly down. And then once he hit the ground, I waited just a little bit. I don't think he'd even gobbled on the ground yet. And I called, and oh, I mean, yeah. he hammered back twice in a row. And I thought, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And I saw him walking through those trees there, and he was coming right at us. So. Awesome job, man. Perfect. Loved it. It was great. That was awesome. Great hunt. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. We have a very awesome guest today, a good friend of mine, Joe Slayton. And uh, Joe was the runner-up in the 2013 and 14 National Wild Turkey Federation Grand National Gobbling Contest. And this year in 2015, Joe captured the title, won first place. And uh, Joe and I go back. Uh, we had a mutual friend, Marvin Robbins, who was uh, Joe's one of Joe's mentors and best friend. And uh, uh, Marvin has since passed on, but uh, Joe has kept Marvin's uh, legacy mm-hmm. alive. And and uh, Joe has uh, 
started uh, Motherload Turkey Calls. He's based out of California and uh, just a great guy, great turkey hunter. Turkey nut uh, is probably a good way to put it. He raises turkeys. You'll probably at some point during this conversation end up hearing turkeys in the background. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jay. How's it going? Oh, just uh, going great. I, I know you were out this morning with your video camera. Um, one of the things Joe likes to do all spring is go out virtually every morning. And, and uh, he, he's fortunate that he lives in an area where he has a lot of turkeys that live around him on different properties and such. And you're able to vid video and get a lot of audio sounds of turkeys, aren't you, Joe? Yep, it was it was a pretty good morning this morning. I had 50 turkeys within 15 yards of me for over a half an hour. So that's incredible. And um, what what was their condition? I mean, are they already gathering up? Are they already strutting around? Um, what, how are they acting? Yeah, they were start. Actually, we had some rain last night. When I thought it might shut them down a little bit, but the the gobblers were gobbling. There was three long beers in the group and about four or five jakes and and a bunch of hens and. Uh, they were strutting around. One of the gobblers tried to breed a hen, and she had lay down, and he had tried to get over on her, and then she'd get up and move, and they just kind of went back and forth like that for a little while. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Joe, tell me about uh, tell me about first, uh, you know, entering into the contest as far as on a state level, uh, and then how that has progressed to, you know, how long have you been? you know, actually competing? How, how long have you been a judge uh, in the NWTF? Kind of give me a background on that. Um, I first started turkey calling and contest in 1986 um, in, in California here. And, uh, and then 1987, I took third place. I had no clue. There, there wasn't really anybody around where I lived that, that knew how to turkey hunt or that called or anything like that. Um, so it was kind of just on my own. I actually bought a Dick Kirby, Paul Butsky tape and I listened to it and, and that was how I kind of learned how to mouth call, use a mouth call. Um, and then, um, I met Marvin in 1989. Um, and then in 1990, I used his, some of his calls to actually win the California state, uh, turkey calling contest. Um, and then that, uh, qualified me to call at the Grand Nationals. So I called in the Grand Nationals in 91, 92, and 93, three years in a row. And um, I also actually called in the Goblin Contest. And in 92 in the Goblin Contest at the Grand Nationals, I took third place behind a fellow by the name of Tucker Chris, who took first, and Preston Pittman took second, and then me. And uh, so that's kind of how it was. And then for several years, I went, I went back to school, changed my occupation, and uh, so I didn't really go to the, any of the uh, Grand National Calling Contests until uh, 2011 I went back. And then, uh, and then that's what started me calling in the Goblin Contest again. So, Gotcha. And um, two years in a row as the runner-up in 13 and 14 and, and captured the title this year. How did it feel to be a Grand National you know, champion? Oh, it was uh, kind of a dream come true. I, you know, I've been turkey calling for a long time, and one of my, you know, goals was to win, you know, Grand Nationals. I mean, if you're a contest caller, that's one of the goals. That's kind of like the Olympic gold medal, you know. So, uh, but, it, you know, it's been a hard road. I mean, it, it ain't easy. You're calling against the best callers in the world. I mean, these guys are coming all over from all over the United States to – 
to call in the in the in the competition. So in 2012, um, I had a, I thought I had a pretty good chance. I had the calls and everything, and I was going through my whole routine and get down to like the last three gobbles that I needed to do and my reed flipped and it sounded like a predator call me and it was horrible and they docked me matter of fact one of the judges said you were a 48 out of 50 until your reed flipped and he gave me like a 42 you know so oh man yeah and so then 13 I was second uh, by a point or two and then 14th I was beat by one point and then this year I won so that's fantastic. You know, um, I was on the airplane, or actually just boarding the airplane uh, in Phoenix, headed to Nashville, and with the intention of going, and then realizing that the gobbling contest was, I believe, on the Thursday, my travel day, and I was really bummed out, but I was excited to see that uh, that you had won. Um, Shane Simpson with Calling All Turkeys uh, was kind of keeping everybody up to date callingallturkeys.com was kind of keeping everybody up to date and it said Joe Slayton your winner and boy that was it that was uh, made for a great flight knowing that my buddy had just won the 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 the, the grand nationals and I knew um how much it meant to you and um you know knowing Marvin as well as I did um I know he was just beaming up in heaven at you uh proud of your accomplishments um Tell me a little bit about you guys' friendship and, um, you know, what all ensued with, with your friendship. And, and before you do, I will say that here in Arizona, Marvin has mentored so many people. Um, and he, he, he just, uh, he, he lived and breathed turkey hunting, but he lived and breathed uh, being a good person. And he lived and breathed being a Christian man and shared his faith and, um, Tell me, tell me about Marvin in, in your perspective, Joe. Well, like I said, I, I met Marvin in 89, and then I used uh, some of the Timberline calls to win uh, in 1990. And then from that year on, he invited me to go come to New Mexico and hunt turkey hunt with them. And I had never been out of, out of California to turkey hunt. Um, I'd killed you know quite a few turkeys here in California, but I'd never been out of state. So... He invited me to come to New Mexico, and from that point on, in 1991, we every single year we uh, coordinated a trip somewhere we would go. And most of the time, it was somewhere where we had never been. Um, we had been, you know, we went to Alabama together, we went to Florida together. We wanted to actually kill a Grand Slam, so we did a Grand Slam one year where we killed turkeys in Alabama and Florida. He came to California. We killed turkeys in California for our Rios, and then we went to um, to Arizona, um, and and actually, you know, both of us killed turkeys in Arizona to complete the the uh, the Grand Slam. So he was a one of a special kind of a guy. I mean, all my kids loved him to death, and uh, you know, he's one of those guys. If he was in your life, uh, he was, you know, you were special to him, and he was special to you, and and that's the way he lived, you know. Yeah, you know, um, just just one of those, you know, rare people that you meet in life that if if you've ever met them, you'll never forget them. Yep. And uh, you know, Dara and I feel so proud. Uh, the National Wild Turkey Federation here in Arizona uh, has asked us to do this uh, spring turkey seminar. That you know, Marvin was always the guy that did it, and you know, it's just uh, I know. 
doing the seminar, I'm going to be emotional because, you know, it, it will bring back all those seminars that I sat through of Marvin's and listened to him and watched how he treat people and, and talk with people. And, and um, you know, it, it's just a real special man and uh, someone we will never forget. And uh, it's awesome, I think, to both you and I can have that common bond of, of Marvin and his legacy. Um, so it's just a just a neat opportunity that someone is is uh, you know that much on fire that that it just uh, you know you see him in so many people's lives you know. Yep. Yeah. Matter of fact, um, one of the last times he was here in California, we borrowed one of your cameras and yep. actually shot some turkey hunts with Marvin and uh, actually showed um, shot some video of him teaching how to call with a box call and, and pretty much did a seminar in the woods with a, a guy who was a very rookie turkey hunter, had never been turkey hunting before, and um, he was a friend of my son's, and, and it was just a great situation, and, and uh, we appreciated you letting us use your, his video. It, it turned out great, I thought. Yeah, and you know, I have those tapes. Uh, I, I need to get in there and, and uh, dig them out and mail them to you. I, have, I still have all those tapes. I know I have them. I can picture the bag that they're in. I just need to go get them. So yeah. maybe to, later this afternoon I'll do that. Um, Joe, uh, looking forward into 2015 um, in California, what are you seeing as far as you know California turkey hunting um, from my perspective, hunting over there the last, I don't know, seven or eight years, it just seems like the birds keep exploding. There's more and more and more turkeys. How are the health of the turkeys in California? You know, I, I talked to somebody a couple of days ago that said that, you know, there was a reduction, 30% reduction in the turkey population in California. I don't know where they came up with that because everywhere I go, there's turkeys everywhere. Like I said, I saw 50 turkeys today. Um, you know, and, and there's just continually turkeys just everywhere you turn around, they're spreading out more and more. And, uh, uh our turkey population isn't hurt at all. Not where I live anyway. Yeah. Now in California, uh, you have to stop hunting at four o'clock. Um, and on normal hunting situations or hunting days, Joe, Let's say it's the night before the season. Are you going to go out and actually roost turkeys, or do you typically just know where they're at and then you just go from there? Um, typically, on any hunt, I want to try to roost a turkey, and I learned that from Marvin. And there's people out there today that say, well, you know, you can't roost turkeys in the south, and you can't do this and can't do that. We did it. I mean, we went to Alabama. We went to, to Florida, Missouri, you know, all these places that you can't roost turkeys, and we roosted turkeys. Now, it ain't easy. It's not always, you know, it doesn't happen every time you go out. But for the most part, we would roost a turkey almost every single time going out. Um, and where I hunt in California, it depends on the ranch that I'm hunting. One ranch, I know where the turkey is going to roost. They roost there every night. Uh, they roost in just a few trees. Uh, and that's a typical situation for California. They love to, to roost in the digger pines or the bull pines. And... Um, and so I know on this place where they roost. If I'm going to hunt that, I know where I'm going to be in the, in the morning, and, and I don't usually go roost. It's about an hour away from my house. But the other place that I hunt, they're all over. Uh, there's about seven or eight different roost sites. So usually we try to go the night before and, and roost a turkey. So it just depends on where we're going to hunt, 
whether I'm going to roost the turkey or not. But for for me, for the most part, I want to roost the turkey the night before. Yeah, and um, I'm the same way. I know uh, in in 2013 uh, when you came out with me. Uh, we hunted the San Carlos Indian Reservation together for turkeys, and um, uh, Tyler Hall and Glenn Hall were with us as well, and we had a great time. Yep. I remember um, we'd hunted for a day or two, it seemed like, and um, uh, we split up in the <laughs> evening, and everybody went a uh, different direction to roost birds, and uh, I remember hearing that bird gobble. It was It was not in the tree yet, and so I worked my way down, and my intention was, you know, to try and roost a bird that you and I could go and get on the next morning and uh, ended up roosting that bird, uh, pretty much thought it was alone and there was another gobbler down about three or four hundred yards and ended up roosting that bird and I'm actually going to play some of that audio um, for our listeners and uh, what do you recall... Um, about that hunt and about that setup the next morning. Well, I remember you saying, "Hey, I got a bird roosting, and he's by. I think he's by himself." So that's usually a good situation to get into uh, when you got a turkey that's gobbling and he's by himself, and you know where he's at. So um, I remember getting in that morning, and the turkey right off the roost started. You know, he started gobbling still early, early dark. Um, we were in there. We remember we got up really early yep. and got way in there and got tight. Pretty close. You kind of knew exactly where he was at. So put a log kind of in the the logging road, <laughs> and we walked in in the morning to that log, and then we counted steps, and then we we sat down by those trees, and it seemed like we were there forever. And then he started gobbling. Uh, what do you recall after that? Yeah, I remember. Uh, it's funny how we do that. We put something in the road so we'll know we're exactly where we are the next morning because usually it's pitch black dark and we're not using any flashlights or anything. Um, and, it, and I remember getting in and it, we got in tight. It was, we were close to the Turkey and we were set up in some pretty thick stuff if I remember right. Um, but everything worked out great. I mean, the Turkey started gobbling in the tree right where you're supposed to be. And, and, uh, we just played our game. Yeah. And, um, he came right in and gobbled his brains out uh, coming in, and uh, you ended up making a great shot, and then your Merriams was down. How many Merriams have you shot, Joe? I probably shot 15 or 20, I want to say. How many turkeys total have you shot, or, you know, roughly? Uh, 119, I think. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh Going back to roosting and, and trying to um, help our listeners understand roost, roosting and what have you, why is roosting so important to you as, as a successful turkey hunter? Well, if I know where he's at, I don't have to wait for him to gobble in the morning uh, to go get set up on him. I know right where I'm going to set up. Um, I go in, get in tight, get in close. Uh, and then I'm already in the game. If if you have to wait for the turkey to gobble, sometimes turkeys don't gobble really early enough to, for you to get in close. Uh, so by the time you get in close to them, um, you know, it could be light enough for them to, to bust you. So if you can roost a turkey, you can get in close, you know, get in at dark before they can uh, see what's going on so you can move in close. And uh, what I always like to do if I do roost a turkey is I like to find the spot where I'm going to be setting the next morning or at least close to that 
and do like a hen fly up with a wing or do a little pop, 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 like a hen flying up. Um, and that gets, to me, that gets the turkey thinking there's a hen there all night long. So then the next morning when I start calling, it's not a surprise to that turkey that there's a hen there because he heard her fly up the night before. So. Oh, wow. That Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, that's a great tip. Now, let's say the next morning, you know, that bird we had on the San Carlos, obviously uh, we could tell he was alone. But let's say you roost a bird. You don't know exactly if he's alone or not. I mean, how aggressive do you get when they're on the roost? Or do you typically wait until just before fly down to make any calls? What What's your strategy? I usually don't like to call very much with them in the tree, but man, that's hard when the turkeys are gobbling like crazy. Uh, but I usually like to let the turkey gobble on its own. You know, I don't like to get the turkey gobbling. Most of the time, Merriam's turkeys anyway, gobble on their own. Same with the Rios, you know, they're gobbling like crazy. So, but before I think it's time to fly down, I want to give him a little bit of, of little hen talk in the tree to let him know I'm there. Um, and then that, you know, it depends on how he acts to that as whether I call more or get more aggressive or do, you know, do a fly down or whatever. And how often in a, in a morning roost setup where you're, you're set up on birds that are roosted, how often do you do the fly down cackle and do the wing and do the whole thing? Is that every time or just sometimes or hardly ever? Um, it just depends on the hunt, depends on the turkey that I'm hunting, uh, where I am. Um, you know, I, I always just kind of feel the whole situation out, whether I think I need to do a fly down. Uh, if, I, if I think he has a bunch of hens or if I start hearing hens, then I'm going to get a little more aggressive. I'm going to get a little bit louder. I'm going to do a fly down. I'm going to try to get the hens mad at me so they'll come in because if they come in, he'll come in. So uh, each situation is different. I won't say I do it every time, and I won't say, you know, that I will never do it. It just depends on the situation and the hunt. Sure. And and having hunted all the species of turkeys, uh, it the part about the eastern turkeys um, being real wary and you know don't call to them a lot. What is your perspective on that? On that, Joe? My perspective is. If a turkey is hunted hard, he's going to be a hard to hunt, whether it's Merriam, Rio, Eastern, Osceola, whatever. If a turkey hasn't been boogered, hasn't been hunted very hard, it doesn't matter if he's Eastern, Osceola, or whatever, most of the time you can kill him. So I've always judged. I mean, I went in, I kept hearing Alabama turkeys, these Eastern turkeys, you know, they've been hunted hard and they're hard to kill. And, you know, we go and kill two first morning we were there, first hour of the hunt, you know. So... It just depends on the turkey, depends on where, um, you know, how much they've been hunted, how much they've been pressured. Um, a turkey is going to be a turkey no matter whether he lives in uh, the mountains of Arizona or the swamps of Florida. You know, he's going to act like a turkey. He's going to, you know, want to breed. He's going to want to be a turkey. That's just the way they are. Yeah. Um, Joe, tell me a little bit about mother load turkey calls. I know that you're... Um diaphragm calls uh, sure got my attention a couple years ago with I believe the call is it the exterminator and the exterminator combo yes yeah I, um, I, 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 I found them very easy to blow and that was the thing that really jumped out at me first and foremost is very very easy to blow um, 
and you know took very little air pressure, which for me uh, works very well. Yeah, I started my mother load turkey calls um, about two years or a year and a half after Marvin had passed away. Um, I was helping with the Timberline line of calls for a while, and, and his family kind of wanted to keep the Timberline calls in Arizona, and that was fine. I had no problem with that. And so um, I started mother load, and I had been making mouth calls for a while before this happened, um, just my own calls. And then... Um, I what I tried to do was get to try to be able to make a call that the re, general hunter, the regular hunter, guy who wants to go out there and kill turkeys, can blow, can make it easy to use, and you know after a Folgers can of uh, calls that weren't very good, um, I finally come up with the exterminator, and it, it's a two read call. It's easy to blow. It's got good rasp. I've got people from Mississippi that use it, you know, all I got people all over the United States that use it. If they've never used it, you know, and and they like a raspy good easy call, uh once they try it they usually like it. And the difference between the exterminator and the exterminator combo is just uh the cut is um different. Yeah, the exterminator is a uh, um V cut, it's a modified V. In other words, the little wings on the sides, I just clip the tops and I make another little cut. Um, otherwise, it's just a, a regular uh, split V. Uh, and the combo cut, a combo is one side of the cut, um, one side of the wing cut out. So you'd have your V in the middle and then one of the sides is cut out. You can have a, a reverse combo or a regular combo cut. I like the reverse combo. The reverse combo, I blow more air or my air comes out of my mouth to the left of my center easier than making it go to the right. So a reverse combo for me is the best way to get the high pitch from that second read. That's where you get your high pitch. Um, and then you can just, you know, roll into the, the raspy yelp part. So. Sure. And it is the best tip for uh, people that don't know exactly where their center is, if they ordered a combo and ordered a regular and just decide which one that they blow better, and then they would probably know how, how they blow it? Yep, that's the best way. Uh, if you're blowing straight out the center, you can use a ghost cut. That's where you get the ghost cuts, got the center cut out. So you get your high pitch right out of the center, right off the bat. Um, and then, you know, you could do a, a combo or a reverse combo and tell which, if you, you know, letting the air come out the left or letting the air come out the right. You can also look at yourself in the mirror and blow any kind of call, and you can see where the air is coming out from your uh, from your tongue, between the tongue and the latex. You can see where the air is coming out, so you can tell which side you need, you know, which one is going to work best for you. And on, on two-read calls, um, sometimes I find that the upper uh, latex, the, the little flap, sometimes wants to peel back. What tip can you give? If that little flap wants to, you know, hang, you know, um, I don't even know what you'd call it, but it likes to peel back and kind of, kind of hang up. What, what do you find with that? Do you trim it just a little bit, or, or? Well, you can trim it. The if you look at the call, the more that that little um, point sticks out past the second read, the more rasp you're going to have in the call. Um, so the the more that sticks out, though the more chance you'll have to flip your read and it flips back and gets stuck. Um, and then you're calling on a predator call pretty much. 
uh, or, an, you, or an elk call, I should say. Um, so if, you know, if it's sticking out too far, you can trim a little bit. I don't like to trim mine. I just want to, I just blow my, my air out to the left side. Um, and I just focus on that. That's, that's the best way for me to do it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, um, you also make uh, trumpet calls and box calls and, you know, slate and glass and the whole, you, I mean, you make all kinds of turkey calls. Tell me about that. Uh, I make just about everything that you can make a turkey sound with. Um, yeah, I, I make pot calls, you know, glass, slate, uh, aluminum, ceramic. Um, I also make uh, box calls, the, the cost style box call, 20 checkers on the side. Um, it's a one-piece box. It's not a glue-up. And then, uh, and then I make trumpets. I make tube calls, um, and it's just all all diverse type of uh, turkey gear that you can carry around in your vest. Right on. Uh, what's your schedule this um, spring coming up? What hunts do you have lined up, and um, when you, when's your first hunt? Um, I'm flying to Jackson, Mississippi, on March 21st. Uh, I'll be hunting with a friend of mine, Robin Risher. Uh, in Mississippi, uh, we're actually going to go on a river uh, and hunt a river. I've never done that in a boat, um, so that'll be a first. Um, and then I'll come back uh, for our opener. I get back on the 27th, and then our our season opens the 28th. Uh, so I'll, I'll be here for our opener in California. And then I'm thinking about going to uh, Montana, like the first week of May. So I've never been awesome. to Montana, so that'll be a first. Awesome. And in California, you can shoot, uh, is it three birds? Three bearded turkeys in the spring, yes. Yeah, and it's a pretty liberal season, doesn't it go for like all the way to May something? Yes, it's the last Saturday of March to the first Sunday in May every year. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how many states uh, have you killed turkeys in or have you ever counted? Uh, 19 states and Mexico. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Out of all those turkey hunts, uh, do you have any one hunt that just stood out above the others as being your favorite hunt? Probably my first time in Alabama. And, uh, you know, anytime you're hunting the South, it's just a completely different world, uh, completely different terrain, uh, woods. You know, everything is different than what I was used to. Um, plus they have barred owls, you know, and the barred owls get going in the morning and the turkeys like to gobble to them. So that's a fun situation. But, um, my first hunt in Alabama, uh, they dropped me off first. I'd never been there before. They pulled up to this little dirt road and they said, Joe, just walk down the dirt road at about two or 300 yards until it makes a bend and then stand right there in the bend until daylight. You should be able to hear a turkey and then go ahead and hunt, you know? And so I did. I'm standing there at the bend in the in the road, and and uh, some owls started going at each other, and this turkey gobbled. So I thought he was going to eat me. That's what it sounded like, anyway. But that that was probably my funnest hunt. Uh, did you get him? No, I didn't. Uh, that turkey actually ran us crazy for three days. That turkey stayed in the tree until almost ten o'clock every day, and strutted on the limb. I couldn't figure it out. I, I could hear him spitting and drumming. I was set up. I knew I was close. I could hear him clear as day, but I just never looked up. I never looked up in the tree. He was in the tree the whole time. Oh, man. And That's so we ended up, the third day that we hunted him, we ended up figuring out that he wasn't on the ground this whole time. And 
Um, I actually got some binoculars, and I spotted him about 100 yards away. I seen him strutting up on down on the limb, you know, up until about 9.15, 9.30, and then he flew 500 yards all the way across the road in the completely other direction. So, wow. 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 Unbelievable. Yep. That is um, – I were you there for the um... – Senior finals this year with the new um, the way they did it with the judges and such. I know you judged a lot of the contests, some of the different uh, 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 competitions. But were you there for the finals? Yes, I was there for the finals. I watched the finals. Um, in your mind, who do you think uh, did the best? Man, when when you get with those guys, those all those guys sound so good. Um, they they all sound great. Uh, I thought Scott Ellis sounded awesome. Uh, he won the head to head. but it, it's it's really a coin flip. You're you're talking a point or a half a point between three or four guys. Um it's just crazy. Any of those guys is is yeah. well deserved to win. So I'm the same way. I mean, sitting there and listening to them and, you know, thinking goodness, they all sound like just like a turkey up on the stage and how do you you know how do you judge one over the other uh i do think it's interesting that it seems like every year you know the top 6 or 7 are are, are you know the same guys I, I think that just goes to show you know how good those those guys are i mean everybody in the finals the top 10 was was unbelievable to me yep and, and there's some good younger callers that are coming up as well um, but man, you get those top five or six guys in there, and that, you know, like like I said, it's a coin flip between those guys. They're they're all great. Yeah. How did you like the new format with the judges being able to see who it is, and um, how do you like that? You know, I was really really skeptical going into it. I you know I I didn't like the whole situation that the judges were knowing who was calling and all that. But I have to say that I really enjoyed the whole situation, the whole scenario. Um, I still don't like the fact that the judges can see the callers, um, I, and I think with just a couple of twists and turns, I think they can make it to where they, you know, it would work without them seeing it. Um, but and then also, I didn't like the fact that the callers who were, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, whatever, in the back were actually getting the feedback that the judges were given to the first, you know, two or three or four callers. So it was kind of helping that situation out. Um, but I think with a, yeah. with a little bit of, you know, just put them in a back room where they can't hear the, the actual conversations between the judges and the callers, uh, we'll take care of that. And, and then, you know, everything else. I thought the place was packed. I think there was a great crowd. Um, it was just all around. I think it was a, a good situation. There was definitely a lot of energy in the room. And, uh, you know, one thing I thought is they could potentially put the judges right where they were but maybe put a screen up or a curtain where they couldn't actually see, they could still critique the caller, but maybe they wouldn't call them by name. And, you know, they could still give feedback and critique, but they would say caller number one, you know, whatever their critique is. Right. Um, I thought Waddell did an incredible job uh, at, as the MC, And, um, yeah, overall, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, Waddell's great. They, they should have him do that every time. He, he he really interacts with, you know, the judges and the callers, too. Um, and I, I thought, get the judges closer to the stage and give them a swivel chair. Have them turn around and face the other way. And once it's judged, they can turn around and give their critique to the caller. 
Oh yeah, that that that's actually a great idea because then at that point they could go, oh that you know, oh hi Scott, right, uh, right, that exactly. was Scott Ellis, okay. But they wouldn't know and, it was Scott Ellis when they were actually writing their score down. So yeah, I mean that that that's a very interesting. Uh, I, I kind of like that. Um, Joe, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, give me your website address, and uh, I know you're on Facebook. I think just under Joe Slayton. Uh, S-L-A-T-O-N. Um, give me your website address for Motherload Turkey Calls. Uh, my website for Motherload Turkey Calls is MotherloadTurkeyCalls.com. M-O-T-H-E-R-L-O-D-E TurkeyCalls.com. Joe, what I'd like to do is um, give our listeners a little bit of a demonstration on some of the different calls you have. Um, I think one of the first things is... Uh, Give me um, some of the gobbling that won you the Grand Nationals this year. Okay. Let's, let's, hear, uh, let's hear some of your gobbling. I'm gobbling on a mouth call that I make. It's a triple read. Uh, it's got so a is special, that, special little Is cut. that the call you used in the contest? Uh, this one that I'm actually going to call on is not the one that I use, but it's just like it. I mean, I've, I've made five or six of them that way, but uh, this awesome. is the one I actually put inside my um, – inside my call case that I carry with me when I'm hunting. So if I need, if I need to make a gobble or whatever, I can use it. So. And then do you have, do you have a tube of some, some kind or what are you using uh, on the, on the external? Yeah, I, I, I don't right now, but I have it in my vest. Um, it's a, it's called an amplifier. I make it, it just gives it a little more volume. It makes it a little bit louder. Um, gotcha. A couple of years ago when I was hunting in uh, Missouri, I had there was five gobblers out in this field with about four or five hens, and they were all strutting around her. And every, they would gobble every time I'd call, but they wouldn't come. They wouldn't do anything. So I thought, shoot, I'll try something different. You know, I put a, put my gobble mouth call in, and I used my little amplifier, and I gobbled at them, and they gobbled back, but they didn't seem like they were going to move or anything. So I sat back down against a tree, and I was in, in like a little creek bed, um, and I mean, it wasn't 30 seconds. I heard. And I kind of peeked up over the little the little creek bed where I could see, and there was two big gobblers there. I ended up killing the, the strutter, and he had inch and three quarter spurs. So goodness, that's why I keep a gobble call with me all times. So yeah. So um, why don't you give us some gobbling here? Let's see what you got. All right. That's incredible. And you're just doing that by shaking your lips or something? Um, I'm going ticka, ticka, ticka really fast. Wow. I'll stick That's it in there and I'll show you. I'm going, I'm going to put a call, the mouth call in just like you would put all the mouth calls in. I'm going to go ticka, ticka. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's incredible. That sounds just like a turkey. Uh, so you won't hesitate uh, if if a if turkey's uh, hung up or something, you'll gobble at them, and and a lot of times it works. Well, I mean, each situation is different, and you got to be really careful safety wise of gobbling. I've gobbled people up um, before, so I, I want to make sure I can see real well. I know you know where people are, uh, and I'm just really careful about doing it because it's just safety hazard. You know, people are looking for turkeys that are gobbling, so. Um, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good weapon to have. If I get a big gobbler that's got a bunch of hens and, and, uh, 
you know, I get in close enough where I can challenge him, I'll gobble at him, and a lot of times he'll come in and want to fight. That's awesome. Well, what do you have next for us? You got a diaphragm there, one of your one of your uh, exterminators or combos yeah, or something? Yeah, this is an uh, exterminator combo right here. I'll be up on it for you. That sounds awesome, Joe. That's awesome. Uh, uh, what else do you got? A box? I got a box call. This is a, a Spanish cedar and yellow heart. That sounds really good. That sounds really good. Give me a demonstration, Joe, uh, if you're just out, that, that box calls in your vest, and let's say you're just out on a ridge top and you're just trying to strike a bird. What would, the, what would you actually do in what sequence would you use to strike a bird that's, you know, you, you're just prospecting. You have no idea what's around. Well, we, we did this a lot. This was Marvin's thing. I mean, he loved box calls. I love box calls, but he always had a box call with him. And uh, through that, I actually carry a box call with me every time I go out. Um, and it was mostly for that reason, because a lot of times, whether it's wind or for whatever reason, the turkeys aren't gobbling that good that day. Uh, and, you know, we're just pretty much prospecting. We're out on a ridge just walking along and we'll go, you know, 100, 150 yards and then uh, stop and call a little bit, and most of the time the box call will get a reaction when a lot of times the mouth call or even a pot call or some of the other stuff uh, won't get a reaction out of a turkey. And then once we get a reaction, now we can figure out the hunt and, and what to do. But this is how I'd normally do it with box call um, if I'm out on a ridge just doing a little prospecting. That's awesome. Do you find out that they normally will gobble, you know, kind of when you start getting excited there and cutting, or it just depends on their mood? It depends on their mood. A lot of times with a box call, the first time you yawk, yawk, yawk with it, they're just, they just hammer back. And then if that doesn't get them, usually the, the excited pop, 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 yawk, 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 that's, that's usually when they'll, they'll do it if they're going to gobble. Uh, but if you notice, I started soft because, you know, after walking 150, 200 yards in between calling, um, 
A lot of times turkeys can't hear you depending on the wind, the lay of the land, you know, different little ridges and stuff that they're behind, and it's hard to hear. And if you move into their section where they can actually hear you, you always want to start off slow, um, and you know, because they could be right on top of you. You never know. So I usually try to start off slow and then get a little more excited as you go along with the calling. Sure. Yeah. No, that sounded awesome. That's that's great advice. Um, well, motherload turkey calls, Joe Slayton. Uh, go check out his website, and um, I love your uh, love your calls, Joe. And uh, I need to get some more exterminators, so I'm going to be giving you a ring here, and uh, uh, just appreciate having you on the show, and uh, wish you the best this this season, my man. Well, good talking to you again, Jay, and uh, we need to hit the woods again one of these days. And uh, Sounds good luck great. this spring. All right, buddy. Take care and uh, God bless. All right. I want to thank you for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. We had a lot of fun with Mr. Joe Slayton this week, and I want to encourage you to uh, go on iTunes if you like what you hear and give us uh, five-star ratings and uh, give us your comments. If you have any topics that you'd like to hear, any questions you'd like answered on the air, uh, go to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com and uh, send me an email and uh, until next week god bless you guys and thanks for listening